0: The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.ChristBaptistMokopani.com We are in 1 John, 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, 1 John. And um, we're at the closing verses. Chapter 5 from verse 13 to 21. And our theme this morning uh, and you would guess it, yes, the word assurance is certainly there, and it is the assurance of belonging to God, the assurance of belonging to God. Listen, we've, uh, we've kind of expressed this from the beginning. Many commentators and many preachers stress that First John is all about tests. And in, in a sense, I agree. I agree but i think the approach we have taken has been comforting and the approach we have come to first john is to look at these tests as assurances rather than trials or burdens as assurances and i think this is such a fitting way to introduce the closing of this letter to look at the certainty the promise And to have the realization that we belong to God. We are the children of God. We are the blessed ones, the saints, those who are called by His name. If you will, those who are elect before the foundation of the earth. However you would want to associate yourself in wording to the eternal Father, this is it. This is it. The assurance of belonging to God. Dear friends, I get quite emotional just realizing where we are in 1st John, realizing what we've seen and what we've studied. John has introduced to us the character of Jesus, the reality of his humanity, that Christ isn't a spirit that possessed the man Jesus. No, that Christ is the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh, who became a man. In fact, Scripture says, who became like us. And the angels cannot fathom this reality that God, the Son, would lower Himself to become like us, to live among us, to ultimately die. For us, that's where the promise lies that we belong to God. We belong to God through the Savior Jesus Christ. Not through Jesus and something else, right? Not through Jesus and your works, not through Jesus plus additional revelation. Jesus alone. Jesus alone. You know, if we look at these verses, I want to read for us. But as I do that, there's a key that stands out in these few verses. That you may know. That you may know. It's such an important word. Listen, if you're a Christian and you don't know the character of Christ, you don't know His word, you don't know His promises, I think it can be very overwhelming. It can be very unsatisfying. Because you have no assurance. There's no true reality of who you are. But let's read together. And we trust that Jesus, through His Holy Spirit and through His Word, will speak to us this morning. John writes and he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. Now we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him, He who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John has taught us so much about Christian assurances. In this letter, John has told us that we can know who God is. John has told us that we can even know whether we are in God or not. John has told us that this is the last hour. It's been a long hour, but this is the last hour, right? We can know the truth. We can know that Jesus is righteous. We can know that we will be like Jesus. We can know that Jesus came to take away sins. We can know that Jesus is sinless. We can know that we have passed out of death into life. We can know love. We can know that God abides in us. We can know the spirit of God. We can know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. We can know that we love God's children. But this morning, John once again assures us that we can know that we have eternal life. That God answers our prayer. And when I get back, Lord willing, we'll look at how we can trust in the reality we won't persist in sin. That we can know the Son of God has come and He has given us understanding. But friends, this morning, two very important points. Two very important points of how we can have the assurance... That we are God's possession. That we belong to Him. That He is ours and we are His. Verse 13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Man, that is a blessed passage. If if that was the focus of every Christian... To assure one another of this reality, I'm telling you, it would resolve possibly all of the divisions in church. You want to know why division exists within church? It's because we're not eager to encourage one another. We're not eager to give each other the comfort that we belong to Jesus. No, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. But here's the thing. God shows us and reminds us that we have eternal life. In fact, two weeks ago, when we were studying the, the first couple of verses before this, um, from verse 6 through 12, we looked at a court case, right, of five witnesses in a court case. And these five witnesses, their goal is to tell us that Christ is, truly is who he says he is and one of those witnesses is this your eternal life your eternal life says that Christ is who he proclaims to be if there is no eternal life then there's no witness to Christ there's no guarantee of his work but because scripture says we have eternal life in and through Jesus Christ it tells us that Jesus Christ truly is God not a god god the son and this has been John's desire throughout his writing look at 1 John chapter 1 verse 4 he says we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete we've studied this what joy what joy The joy of their assurance is this, salvation. Your salvation. If you come to me and tell me that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I don't experience joy, then there's something wrong. Then there's something wrong. Apart from all superficial judgment, we spoke about judgment on Thursday. I shouldn't look at you and say, well, okay, but show me your fruit. No, no, I should rejoice because that's a testimony. I should be glad in that testimony. Listen, when your fruit shows something else later, then it's a different story. Then as a brother, I need to rebuke you and comfort you with the truth. But John goes on to say this to us this morning. And this is what gives us joy as the Christian. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. My dear friends, if any one of you is here this morning and you don't know eternal life, please listen carefully. Please listen carefully, because John pleads with us to know what it's like to be born from death into life. That is the assurance of what it means to belong to God. And at the heart of John's reason for writing is this, that it's 100% possible to have eternal life, the very life of God, but still doubt that reality. I can ask, and maybe don't raise your hands, but how many of you this morning have in your Christian walk doubted your salvation. You've doubted to some measure the work of God in your heart. Maybe it was because of sin. Maybe because it, wasn't, it was of not being sure of doctrine. But I can almost vouch that all of us or many of us in this room at some point have doubted our salvation. Not based on Christ but based on our standing. That I've done something for Christ to no longer love me. Have you ever had that? Just maybe nod your head. Yeah, no. am I the only Christian that have ever had that. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Because John doesn't believe it either. If John believed it, he wouldn't have said these words. I write so that you may know. This morning, God wants you to know. He wants you to be sure that if you are His child, then you need to be comforted with the truth. That in Jesus, right now, you have eternal life. It's your possession. Many of us think that eternal life is something we get to once we die. Eternal life starts when I breathe my last. Then I go and I go into being with eternal life and I don't want to comfort you it's okay if you've believed that I think in a time I thought that way that eternal life is yours but you only, you, know, you only experience it when you move on to glory but that's not the reality the moment you are saved that very moment you take possession of eternal life And scripture tells us everything you do from that point onwards is in the righteousness of Christ. And at the final day, when we stand before God in judgment, righteous judgment, the works we have done as Christians will be tested by fire. And that which remains will be rewarded. What does that tell you about eternal life? You're experiencing it now. You have this life through the Holy Spirit now. It's not something you take possession of later. You have this now. And John wants us to have this awareness. He wants us to have this reality that right now I am living in this eternal life that glorifies Christ. Friends, I realize that that doubt can come. Doubt is almost always lurking at the door, waiting for us to open it, waiting for us to invite its presence. But that's not what Christ wants for us. Christ doesn't want us to doubt our salvation. He doesn't want us to doubt our eternal life. How can we know? The Lord has given us verse 13. He has given us these very words. And therefore my invitation is this, my dear friends. Whether you've been a Christian for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Whether you've been a Christian for 6 months. Come to Jesus. And confess your doubt. Confess your doubt so that you can experience the full assurance of being God's child. That's what John says. He is eternal life. And when you come to Christ, remember this. Your feelings will come and go. You're going to feel great. Maybe tomorrow you feel great. You feel great about being a Christian. Maybe on Tuesday you feel terrible. Feelings come and go. Feelings can also be very deceiving. So, don't trust in your feelings. Assurance. Is tangible. It's knowledge. It's an awareness. John says we need to have the assurance, not the feeling. Because you're not always going to feel saved. Trust me. But you can always know that you are saved. John 10, verse 28 to 29, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. What a comfort. I give eternal life. The creator God gives eternal life. But he goes on. No one will snatch them out of my hand. It's a very common belief many of us grow up with. Many of us grow up with the understanding that I can fall out of salvation. And and once that happens, I need to quickly repent and trust in Jesus again so that I'm within salvation. Friends, that is a dangerous doctrine. Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. No one. You can't accidentally fall out of my hand and whoops. Oh, you better repent and come back into my hands. Friends, that's dangerous. Jesus goes on to say, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. What does that tell you? How do you come to Christ ultimately? By your initiation? By you stepping out in faith? No, the Father draws you to Himself. That's what Jesus says. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Dear friends, the same hands, metaphorically, that created everything that exists today, is the hands that are holding you in your salvation. It's the hands that is holding your eternal life. Please, stop believing that you can fall out of salvation. Stop believing that that Satan or the demons can snatch you out of God's hands. Jesus is clear. Therefore, you can be assured of your eternal life. You can have this reality that you belong to God. And nothing can change that. Because of you? Because of the world? No. Because of God and His continuous work. Remember that salvation wasn't that one time you made a confession. Maybe you were at a camp and you went to the front of the stage and, and you said a prayer and now you're saved. That's not salvation. Salvation is accepting what Christ has done for you and surrendering to Him as Lord. That is salvation. It's continuous. It doesn't stop. Don't think, oh, I did that. I, did, I picked up my cross. It's somewhere, it's somewhere, it's dragging I have my cross, so I'm I'm good. Jesus says, carry your cross daily. It's called sanctification. The ongoing work of salvation. And it doesn't stop until we are seated with Christ. Oh man, what a comfort. Sure, to to think that salvation keeps on. And it keeps on. That Christ is working in my heart daily. And He's working in my heart, especially in the times that it's the hardest. He's given me this possession. And He is working it in me until it is complete. My friends, there's more to this. Not only can we have the assurance that we have eternal life by belonging to God. But we can know that God answers our prayers. That's a bold statement. We can know or we can have the assurance that God answers our prayers. In fact, I'll read it again because there's, I think, one of the most difficult Bible verses to interpret is in this very portion. Let's follow along. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. However, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. At first glance, it's quite a, a head-scratcher. And, and you're okay, don't worry. We're okay. We'll understand it by God's grace this morning. Here's what John tells us. With the assurance of eternal life, we get another confidence. This confidence that comes with us, with eternal life. And that is having your prayers answered. Having your prayers answered. Isn't that amazing? Listen, I want to tell you this morning. God answers prayer. And that He answers your prayer. Is that a bit too charismatic? Hey? God answers prayer. As a church, listen. You can testify to this, isn't it? Let's go back to every bulletin we've printed. With, with the prayer points at the back of it, how many of those points by God's love and mercy have changed into praise items? Anyone? I mean, come on. Am I the only one that's seen that? Weekly we see that, man. Weekly we see the faithful hand of God answer our prayers. It's not because of our faith. Please, if it was because of that, I'm sorry, friends, as your pastor, I don't think Lord, the Lord would have ever answered our prayer because we're quickly so faithless. Ian Bounce once wrote, Nothing is well done without prayer for the simple reason that it leaves God out of the account. I'll say it again. Nothing well is done without prayer for the simple reason that it leaves God out of the account. If we're not praying, we're not considering God's hand. We're not trusting God's hand. We're not seeking God's will. Do you realize that? When we don't pray for a situation, we are essentially saying, I am okay to do this by myself. Don't worry, God. It's fine. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful or blasphemous in any way. But that's what we're doing in our hearts. We're saying, I am okay with your, without your sovereign hand. I can manage. Is that true? Please don't say yes. Right? Now, back in First jo- John 3, verse 22. John addressed prayer. And we kind of looked at it. And I just want to summarize. In that portion, John tells us that God answers our prayer for, in two ways. God answers our prayer, firstly... In keeping his commands. If we are keeping God's commands, he answers our prayer. Is that like a a transactional basis? Because I trust, you know, because I obey you, you'll answer my prayer. No, no, that's not the reason. The reason is he's answering prayer because we obey him. What are we doing when we obey God? Walking according to his will. Are you with me? When we walk according to God's will, He answers our prayer. Secondly, John tells us in 1 John 3.22, God answers our prayer when we do the things that please Him. It's the same point. When we are walking in accordance with God's will, He answers our prayer. He answers our prayer. But now thirdly, Thirdly, it's not just about walking according to His will. Verse 14 here says that we must ask according to His will. We should ask according to His will. Amen? Let's stop there. The three three keys to successful prayer. That sounds very extreme. But that's the reality. When you obey God, You are walking according to his will. Furthermore, scripture says, when you ask according to his will, then there you have it. The guarantee that God will answer your prayer. Yes? No? Listen, John says we can be confident towards God when we pray. He tells us in these very verses, we can even be sure that he hears us when we ask. Can you imagine having God's attention? Have you ever thought about that? This is what John says you have God's attention. I want to burst out in tears. Have you ever considered that? He's willing to listen to you. Almighty God. This is what John tells us. He says he hears us when we ask and we can know that we have what we have asked for. George Mueller. I'm sure many of you have heard of George Mueller um, the german who who stayed in the u k, um, he had many orphanages caring for children. Um, I think as I have it, he has never not one time in his life raised money to care for those orphans. not one time he 's not once raised money for a single meal for the children under his care, not even for himself, not even for a salary in fact. George Mueller refused to take his salary. He refused any financial support for himself or for the ministries that he led. But this is what he once noted. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. I think again, you know, we have a wrong attitude or can have a wrong attitude in prayer. We think that we have to ask because God is reluctant to just give. He's not willing to give. He's not willing to listen. So we have to, you know, press God. We have to, you know, many charismatics refer to, you know, the wrestling of of Jacob. You've got to wrestle God until He gives you that thing. As if God is reluctant, like He doesn't want to give us. We have to pin Him down and then He listens to us. No, no. George Mueller says, prayer is laying hold of His willingness. It's being aware of the the heart of God, the character of God, and and knowing what He's willing to do for us as His children. That's what prayer is. Listen, it's, it's it's right to pray according to God's will. It's wise to pray according to God's will. Because God knows what's best. He knows the outcome. He and here's the thing God also wants what's best. What is that? What is that? His glory, our good. His glory, our good. That's the best of God. Now, God's will, a lot of the times. Is different from what we want. Isn't it? Yes? No? Isn't it that you're praying. Perhaps even now. You're praying for something. And you just see no sense. Of of what you're asking for. From the hand of God. I think it's because. You're not praying according to His will. You can pray according to God's will. And God's will is that the answer is no. And you don't like it. But that's His will. You can pray for God's will, and the answer is yes. And you can still not like it, because you don't want the answer to be yes. Hey? That's the temptation, friends. Don't say, I want God's will, but then you pray for your will. You say, I want God's will to be done, But when you go to Him in prayer, you say, Lord, my will be done. It shows what really happens in our hearts. But here's the comfort. I believe that God will always give what's better than what we want. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us, God's will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Did you get that? God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Because of this, I should want what God wants for me. Because that gives me full assurance that God will hear me. And you say, but I'm suffering. And life is really hard and unpleasant. In fact, it's painful. Is that God's will for my life? Allow me to point you to, to Joseph. Man, that guy had a pretty bad sold into slavery by his own family, imprisoned, you know, injustly imprisoned, forgotten. And at the end, when he rescued his brothers, what does he tell us in Genesis? Joseph says All these things, they have meant for evil. But what? God meant it for good. You might sit there and say, are you kidding me? Did God mean for Joseph to be sold into slavery and and have a wretched life? Be thrown in prison unjustly, forgotten about, basically rotting away. And close to the end of his life have him redeemed and save his whole family. Is that a good God? Of course it is. Of course it is. Because God will use the trial for his glory and for your good. Paul commonly says that he prayed three times for a thorn to be removed. Did God remove it? No. It was God's will for Paul. Paul. To have that thorn for God's glory and for Paul's good. That's the will of God. We tend to think that the will of God is prosperity. It's good health. It's wealth. It's a comfortable life without persecution. If you think that about Christianity, you have not understood Jesus in the Gospels. In fact, Jesus says, I promise you, That if you follow me, you will endure trials. You will be mocked. You will be persecuted. In fact, he tells his disciples, You will be killed. Do you want that? Is that God's will for your life? Here's what John tells us in these verses it's God's will for you to pray and for him to answer you. That's God's will. Look at verse 16 and 17 again. He tells us this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. But all wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. So not only are we praying for ourselves, Not only are we praying for our comfort and, and relief from trial. That's what happens in verse 14 and 15. But in verse 16 and 17, John tells us that our prayer also includes intercession. Intercession means to pray for someone else. Means to seek God's hand for someone else. And the issue here is specifically someone dealing with sin. As a church, I believe, and as friends, as a a family, we're quick to pray for one another's burden, isn't it? And we're quick to pray, you know, for God's grace in a situation. But how many of us are praying for a brother or a sister who is in sin and they are captive to that sin? Maybe, you know, we can make the excuse and say, but I don't know who's dealing with what. To that, I want to respond and say, you need to be more involved, right? Pick up the phone, send a text, stay off to a service, find out what's happening. It's all, all of that's possible. It's not impossible. Technology can be such a blessing, but it brings us to one of the most difficult Bible verses, verse 16, Verse 16, does this mean a Christian can commit sin that leads to death? And because they are committing that sin, I shouldn't even pray for them. I'll read it again. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Can we as Christians commit sin so grievous that it will lead to death and the church shouldn't even pray for such a person? I mean, listen, it's a crucial question. Is John speaking of physical death or spiritual death? Because we need to know. We, we, we have to pray for this. Let's start by saying this. Firstly, John addresses a brother who is sinning. And this sin does not lead to death. But then he addresses someone whose sin brings death. It welcomes death. Now, there's a view that says, This has a believer in mind. Both cases. It's a Christian. But I don't tend to agree with this view. I I, I don't think that as Christians we can fall into such a sin that leads to death. Not when the context in verse 13 is talking about the gift of eternal life. We always have to look at the context. We have to look at the verses surrounding the very verse we study. In fact, John says that if we see a brother or a sister in sin, don't just run and talk to them. Pray for them before you run and talk to them. Pray for the issue. Perhaps you should pray for a heart that is softened, for a mind that is prepared for rebuke. If you see them in sin... Don't run to someone else in church quickly and say, so-and-so is sinning, what should I do? Did you pray about it? Did you speak to them about it? No, 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 I want to hear from so-and-so and 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 so-and-so. Be careful, because that can lead to gossip. Matthew 18 tells us what? If there's an issue with a brother or a sister, you engage with them. Paul writes in Colossians, you who are spiritual, Restore such a one. Are you with me? Be careful of that. So firstly, talk to them. Firstly, pray to God about them. Pray for their restoration. Pray that God's will will be done in their heart. Pray that the Lord will give them life since this death doesn't lead to spiritual death. Yes, as Christians, when we sin, we will be spiritually disciplined. And I think that the earthly consequences at times can just be so overwhelming. And I believe that that God can give us comfort even in those overwhelming circumstances. But Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 5 to 13 teaches that we as Christians cannot spiritually die. As a Christian, you cannot spiritually die. Are you with me? Spiritually die. If you die spiritually, you go to hell. That's what it means. As a Christian, you cannot die and go to hell. But John says, there is a sin that leads to death. This can't be a Christian. It cannot be. Um, Firstly, John says, I'm not saying you should not pray for such a person. But he's saying, perhaps your prayer is futile. Because this is an unbeliever who has been given over to their sin. It's Romans chapter 1. If you study Romans chapter 1 from verse 18 onwards, what does it tell tell you about a person that, that pursues their sin? God hands them over to that sin. That's a form of judgment. We look at the world today. Listen, all the different prides. The issue is this. God gives you over to that sin. You say, okay, you're an angry person. But you're in church. But you've never been able to overcome your anger. Never in your life have you been able to overcome anger. And you've always had a doubt of your salvation. Then Romans 1, once again. You have a sin issue that God has handed you over to. Because you enjoy it. You pursue it. You have made anger your idol. You have made it your God. John says such a person is not a Christian. Do you follow? This is a person that that does a sin that leads to death. Furthermore, I don't think it's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Remember we studied Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 3 verse 29 um, the sin against the, or, you know, the unforgivable sin. That's actually what it says. The unforgivable sin. And many people assume, you know, it's sinning against the, the Holy Spirit. It's using the Lord's name in vain. But that's not the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is to deny Christ even though you have seen the truth. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, we see a context that these are people that might have even been in church. They might have participated in the things. Maybe it's someone who has even been baptized. And you say, but they were baptized. They came to church every week. They even went on mission. That doesn't mean you're saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means that God has, made, has laid hold of me. Not anything else. God has, I belong to God. That's eternal life, right? Right? So this is what John refers to. The one who commits sin leading to death is the one who has just rejected Christ and is choosing his sin. He's choosing his sin. And I want to kind of just put a stamp and say this is why I believe that's the position. In the context of John's letter, we've studied this. John writes to the church because they are false teachers. Right? Who were those false teachers? The Gnostics. Gnostics. Taught that you are saved by a higher knowledge. You miraculously receive a knowledge and you're saved. So you can have Jesus, but that doesn't save you. You need to have Jesus and this higher knowledge. And if you don't have Jesus, that's fine. You have to have this higher knowledge. So that's the false teachers that that John is dealing with. And what are they saying? They're ultimately saying Jesus Christ isn't the Savior. You don't need him. So they are denying Jesus. And if that's the context, and John writes to to believers in this context, he is saying that's the sin that leads to death. Rejecting Christ. If you reject Christ, what do you want? (laughs) You can't have life. And it's futile to pray for heaven without Christ. So John doesn't say, don't pray for them. At all. But just know that praying for them might be futile. Just, it's not going to lead to life. It's a rejection of the gospel. It's a rejection of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 17 affirms this. Verse 17 says, All unrighteousness is sin. All unrighteousness is sin. All of it. Not the most grievous ones like murder. Murder is really bad. If you're a Christian, you murder, you're going to go to hell. No. Murder is sin. In fact, we commit murder in our hearts. When you get angry at someone, and you think, ah, I could strangle you. Jesus says, you have committed murder in your heart. You're a murderer. Okay, but maybe, you know, I just, I like to share stories outside of context. Yeah, that's called gossip. Yeah, but it's not as bad as murder. Well, it's slander. James says, When you slander a brother, you are slandering the one who created him. It's blasphemy. See how serious sin is, no matter what it is? Sin is serious. Sin kills. The wages of sin is death. But John says, all unrighteousness is sin. But there is. But this sin does not bring death. If you are in Christ, this sin does not kill you if you are in Christ. Because I believe, as a Christian, this sin will be confronted. As a believer, sin will be confronted. You can hide your sin, but we've seen this many times. Your sin will catch you out, it will come into the light. But as a Christian, your sin doesn't lead to spiritual death. It cannot. What does Romans 8 verse one say? "There is now, therefore, no condemnation, no judgment. It's talking about life and death judgment. Not, "Oh, don't judge me. Jesus says, "Don't judge." Oh no, Jesus says, "Judge, judge rightly. Judge with righteousness." So yes, call out one another. Call out one another when you are in sin. But do that by firstly consulting the God who lends you His ear. And then you restore such a brother or sister. And in that instance, you will both have the assurance that you belong to God. Isn't it? When you're restored... It gives you assurance. Yes, I am a Christian. I do belong to God. Now I want to close with this. Spurgeon said to his, the students in his pastor's college concerning the power of prayer. Spurgeon said, Might not we win more victories if we were more constantly used this weapon of all prayer? All hell is vanquished when the believer bows his knee in prayer. Beloved brethren, let us pray. We cannot all argue, but we can all pray. We cannot all be leaders, but we can all be pleaders. We cannot all be mighty in speech, but we can all be prevalent in prayer. I would sooner see you moving with God than with men. Prayer links us with the eternal, the omnipotent, the infinite, and and hence It is our chief resort. Resolve to serve the Lord and to be faithful to His cause. For then you may boldly appeal to Him for help. Be sure that you are with God and then you may be sure that God is with you. Prayer gives us the assurance that we belong to God. Whether you're praying for God's will in your life or when you're praying for God's will in someone else's life, praying for their restoration, rebuking them in their sin, prayer gives us the assurance that we belong to God. So friends, I summarize. We can have assurance that we belong to God through His gift of eternal life. And because of this gift, because we stand on this truth, coupled with a life of prayer, we will know we are God's children. Ian Bounds once again said, we must remember that the goal of prayer is the ear of God. Unless that is gained, the prayer is utterly failed. If you're not seeking God in prayer, He's not hearing you. So know this, that whatever you ask, according to God's will, He hears. And if He hears you, He answers you. And if He answers you, You have what you have asked for. Blessed be the name of God. But if you don't take the opportunity to call upon the Lord, then you don't take Him seriously either. If you don't call upon the Lord, then you do not take Him seriously either. But we can know this for certain. In the expression of my eternal life, I should want to, be with God in constant prayer. Amen? We'll look at the three when I get back. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be comforted to know these two truths. To know what it looks like to experience pers- uh, eternal life. To know that our sin cannot persist when we are considering the things that are above when we set our minds to the things that are above. And Lord, as we, just by your grace and through a pursuit of faithfulness, we pursue good works, righteous deeds, and your will, would you just constantly give us the comfort and the reminder that we are your children, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But even now... Lord as you hear us as we petition our requests to you give us the comfort but also the conviction that our prayers isn't just a wishy washy comfortable thing to make us feel good about you who may be far off but that prayer is the very vehicle of communication that you father call us to have and share with you. And as as we do that by ourselves in in our closed cupboards, behind closed doors, would you hear us? When we do that collectively as a group or as a church, would you hear us? I pray, Lord Jesus, comfort us and draw us to your Father's will. In this we pray, in your name. Amen.